Uh, welcome again to this fourth of four parts for our Burned Out Sermon series, and I pray that this has been as helpful to you as it has been to me. Um, today, though, we're talking about uh, uh, a, a part of burnout that kind of intersects with all three of the parts we've already talked about. There's this, this book I read. It only was released about three weeks ago. It's fascinating. I highly recommend it, uh, and it's called The Good Life. Um, any of you from Nebraska? No, it's not about Nebraska. Uh, that, that's their motto. But The Good Life is a, a book about this longitudinal, long-range, multi-generational study done by Harvard University that started way back in 1938. And in this study, they tracked people throughout their lives. Now they're on to the children of those people in the original study and even on to their grandchildren. And they had a simple premise. What helps people have a good life? What brings happiness into people's lives? So they have interviewed these people year after year, decade after decade. Um, every five years, I believe, they even visited the people in person and had a sit-down interview with them, all to try to evaluate what is it that gives people a good life. And they reached some pretty amazing conclusions. It's not what you might expect. So there's this 2007 study uh, where millennials were asked, what is your main goal in order to uh, achieve what you want out of life, in order to be happy? 76% said they wanted to get rich. That that, that is what, if they could get rich, then, then they would have happiness in their life. 50% said fame, becoming famous, would be of utmost importance in order to have a happy life. The truth is, that, and this study proves it, that is not what is key to a happy life. Not that those things are unimportant. In some situations, for some people, for a limited time, to a limited degree, all of those things accomplish something toward happiness, but not consistently and not reliably. For example, the study, they, they had so much detail and so much data, they could even determine that wealth doesn't bring happiness, but poverty hinders it a little bit. So what they discovered was up, up to about $75,000 of, of household income, there is some incremental increases to happiness sometimes. But then beyond $75,000, if you go from $75,000 to $150,000 or from $150,000 to $300,000, oh, I'd be happy then. The study says, no, you, you actually won't. It won't change your degree of happiness measurably. And haven't you experienced that? When you buy something nice, it gives you pleasure for a moment, but not for long. That even if you went and bought a 2023 Corvette Z6, well, it'd be fun. You'd be excited, but not three years from now. Not 20 years from now, when it's got rust. Money doesn't buy us happiness. Career isn't the thing that ultimately will give you lasting happiness. All of these things are limited when they are evaluated in this scientific study. So what was it, what was it that ultimately uh, in, in all situations, improve quality of life, and in the long term, if somebody had this at age 50, at age 80, they said, I've got a good life. I am happy. The answer is good relationships. That was the X factor. That was the thing across, across uh, economic status, male or female, different races. It didn't matter. If a person had good relationships in their life, they always reported a higher level of happiness. Good relations were key. 
When I say that, and I tell you the results of this study, that doesn't surprise some of you. But other studies support this and show this is true as well. There was, a, um, for example, a 2018 study that suggested that three out of four adults in 2018 felt a moderate to high degree of loneliness. So what's the opposite of having good relationships? It's not having good relationships. It's, it's being lonely. And three out of four people have reported feeling that way. And then there's, there's this uh, interesting statistic that loneliness is associated with a lot of negative things. Loneliness is associated with an increased sensitivity to pain. You literally physically hurt more if you are also lonely. It suppresses the immune system. You're more likely to get sick. It diminishes brain function. Your brain isn't as clear. You, you get less effective sleep when you are lonely, which just makes you even more tired and, 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 and that can cascade. A recent, recent research has shown that for older people, this is fascinating, loneliness is twice as unhealthy as obesity. That one was a shocker to me. Um, people who are socially connected have less risk of dying no matter what their age. In fact, social connection increased the likelihood of surviving in any given year by 50%. It makes a difference. In 2020, it is estimated, that was you know, during the COVID lockdowns, that 162,000 deaths could be attributed to causes stemming from social isolation. In the UK, they, can, they, they did a study on this to try to figure, figure out the cost of loneliness. They literally did a study on this. What is the economic cost of having lonely people in our society? Because they are less productive, they, are, they get sick more often, they switch jobs more frequently. So what is the ultimate cost? The result of the study was that lonely people, um, th that because there are lonely people, it's an impact of $3.4 billion annually to the UK economy. In fact, the results of that study resulted in the UK establishing the Ministry of Loneliness. It is a government agency in the United Kingdom now, the Ministry of Loneliness. And for good reason. They understand the value of good relationships. And so that is what we are talking about today, this wild card that, that affects your physical well-being, your emotional well-being, your spiritual well-being, things that we talked about in the first three weeks, what intersects with all three of those and can either hinder them or support them? And the answer is good relationships, to which... To which, uh, if you are a, a longtime Christian or you know your Bible well and you hear all these things that I just say, your response would probably be, no, duh. Because what I just reported to you, at what science has discovered, God has been telling us from the beginning. Did you know that this is throughout the pages of Scripture, the importance of having good relationships? Uh, in fact, if we just start at the very beginning of Scripture, there are so many places I could share with you, uh, but if you just start at the very beginning of Scripture, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, verse first, first verse of the Bible says this, in the beginning, God created. And if you're thinking right now, that sounds familiar. Yeah, that was in week one. Uh, Pastor Michael, you're just stealing from Pastor Mike. Yeah, I am. But it's true. He used that to, to show us that when it comes to our physical bodies, God is the creator, God is the designer, so why don't we act like we are created beings and listen to the one who designed us when it comes to our physical well-being, but this applies also to our relational capacity. Because the, the truth is that God made us to be relational. He made us to be dependent on him 
And if we are not, we will not be healthy. And he made us to be interdependent on one another. And if we're not, we won't be healthy. In Genesis 2.18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. To which every wife says, Amen. It's not good for him to be alone. Uh, he, needs, he needs me. And it's true. God knew that we need each other. We need one another. And so God said to Adam when he was alone, and God made Eve shortly afterwards, it's not good. And, and then God, God had a parade of animals come before Adam. It's, it's in that first chapter. Um, and, or second chapter. And, and as they came before him, Adam was giving them names, but he was also noticing something. Oh, that's interesting, but it's not like me. Oh, that's interesting. That animal's really interesting, but it's not like me. And even when he saw the dog, he's like, oh, that, could be a, that could be a friend, but truth is, it's not going to be a best friend. Adam recognized he was alone, just, which is something God already knew, and God made a helper suitable for him. Adam, you need companionship. It's not good for you to be alone. I made you in a, re- a relational being, and God made Eve and brought her to Adam, and he was delighted. And then back in Genesis, Genesis, go back one chapter again to verse 28. It says, God blessed Adam and Eve. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. In other words, the, the two of you, yeah, that's good that you're not alone, but let's keep this going. Let's keep multiplying. Uh, your children will have siblings, that will, those relationships will be good for them, and then the cousins will play together, and, and generations will go on, and there will be friends and people interacting with each other, and this will be good. This will be a blessing. Because the truth is this. You can jot this down. God created us relational. That is a truth we cannot afford to ignore. It's the way God designed us. And to ignore that you are not going to have as good of a life. God created us relational. Why did he do that? I suspect it all ties back to love. Because the truth about love is this. Love requires others. So that's your next fill in the blank. Love requires others. Does that make sense? You, you cannot love all by yourself. Now, people talk about me time, and i got to love on myself a little bit. I'm not sure that's biblical. If you spend a day all to yourself without ever interacting with another human being, not talking to them on the phone, not, not communicating with them in any way, shape, or form, can you at the end of the day say, boy, I loved so well today? I'd say not. And you certainly weren't loved on because there was nobody in your life that day. Love requires others. It always has. This is something that's unique about the Christian faith. We are the only faith that reports what God says, that he is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All other, all other um, belief systems that, that don't have that triune God would have to admit that there was a time when there was not love. If God was alone and there was no creation, who could he love? How could he love if he is by himself? But the Christian faith says, no, from eternity, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Bible describes that as a relationship of love, that they've lived in eternity in deference to each other, in respect of each other, in honor of each other, in service of each other, uh, glorifying each other. This is the dance of the Trinity described in the Holy Scriptures. Love has always existed because God is love and God is not alone. 
So, I get this question all the time as a pastor. So, Pastor Michael, why did God create the world? Why did he create human beings? And the follow-up question is always, and why did he create us when he knew that we were going to sin? And the answer to that question is love. God is love. Love requires others. God wanted love to multiply, and so God created the world. But why, why did he make us able to sin? And the answer to that is because love doesn't only require others, love requires freedom. Think about that. Love requires freedom. If, you, if, you, if I would describe for you a relationship where somebody in authority has a relationship with somebody in a vulnerable position, and that person doesn't want to be in that relationship, but this person forces that person to be in relationship with them, we call that slavery. We call that abuse. If God knowing that love requires others, wanted love to exist, he also had to create freedom to reject, freedom to oppose him. And it breaks his heart that that's what human beings chose to do. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit about what God does about that. But this principle is true. It's a principle that God created. It's a principle that we can break ourselves against, but we can't break. And the principle is this. Good relationships make us healthier and happier. It's the way God designed us. Good relationships multiply love. Love makes us healthier and happier. Good relationships make us healthier and happier. This is throughout the pages of Scripture, and I would encourage you to look for it. Uh, I could have quoted about 12 or 100 verses from the book of Proverbs, but maybe I'll just give you that as a homework assignment. Uh, read through the book of Proverbs, and in your Bible, uh, you're allowed to mark up your Bible, did you know that? Write a letter R in front of every verse in Proverbs that you think talks about relationships in some capacity, and then somebody report back to me on how many of those you find. You're going to find a ton of them. But instead of sharing all of those with you, let me just share with you something from the book of Ecclesiastes, also wisdom literature in the Bible. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting at verse 8, it says this, There was a man all alone, he had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. So, so the, the author here is describing a man who has a very successful business. He's working hard, making tons of money, but he's alone. He has no good relationships. And his conclusion is, this is pointless. This is meaningless if I am alone. And then the very next verses, which some of you have heard at weddings, but they don't really apply directly to the husband-wife relationship, but more broadly, here is a general truth that he then concludes, verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. You get more done when you uh, are in partnership with somebody uh, working toward a common goal together you get more return for your labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. You, you've seen the sad commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. Yeah, it is sad, isn't it? The person falls down, has nobody there, they're all alone, nobody to help them up. That comes from the book of, of Ecclesiastes. Um, it's better together. Verse 11, also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. 
A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This, this uh, author emphasizing for us how important it is to not be alone, but to be with others. In numbers, there is strength. Ever heard that phrase? There's strength in numbers? It comes from Ecclesiastes 2. Um, so if you try this at home, this is actually a, tr- a true thing. Uh, take three th- threads um, parallel to each other, but not connected. See how much tension is needed to rip them apart. Then weave them together in a cord and do the same thing. Well, it's the exact same strength, right? It's the same three chords. It's not. If you do this little scientific experiment, you'll find that the three chords woven together tightly are way stronger than the three threads individually. God keeps teaching us over and over again that life is better together. There was an experiment that was done. The weird thing about this is we don't tend to recognize this truth and I keep emphasizing it because we don't see it naturally. I don't know why. It's a blind spot to us. But um, the University of Chicago did this, this experiment. They went to the train, local train station where the commuters went into, went into the city and um, asked them, what would give you a more positive experience on your commute? To sit down next to a total stranger and strike up a conversation or to mind your own business, do your work, listen to your music, read your book, whatever it is you want to do, which one will give you the more positive experience? Well, guess what everybody said? The vast majority said, doing my own thing, obviously. Then the researcher said, okay, well, we've got an assignment for you, this group. Your assignment is strike up a conversation with a stranger on your way. And then they took a control group and said, do what you normally do, don't talk to anybody. Then, after the commute was over, they interviewed them once again. Guess what they found? The exact opposite of what everybody expected happened. Those that struck up the conversation said, my commute was much better than average, was much better than usual. The vast majority reported a great experience with interacting with others. Good relationships make a difference. You know, this kind of describes me. Uh, I'm the guy who gets on the airplane and does not talk with whoever's next to me, typically. Uh, I was on a a trip uh, a couple weeks ago down to Texas for a pastor conference, and I had a a two-and-a-half-hour plane ride. I'd gotten up at four in the morning to catch this flight. I hadn't slept well the night before because I'm a little nervous about traveling. And um, I I, I just want to get on the plane, put in my headphones, and take a nap. I just want to crash. And wouldn't you know it, I get on the airplane, and the most talkative man you ever met is sitting in the seat next to me. And I'll be honest, the thought went through my head, oh no. <laughs> uh, so the man who sat next to me, actually, was the owner and founder of a local Appleton orthodontics practice that I know many of you have heard of. And uh, he was, his son now runs that practice, and we talked the whole two and a half hours and we talked about a wide range of things, about the, the challenge of business, about family life, about how awesome it is to be a grandfather. Um, we talked about how, what a challenge it is when our kids, our grown kids are struggling and how do you deal with that. We talked about politics. Yep, we went there. We talked about religion and church. The man is a Catholic. We got into all sorts of things. We went deep. We talked the entire time. And when I got off that flight, I was energized, I was happy, it was one of the best trips I had taken, and the two and a half hour flight felt like 15 minutes. Okay, so what those researchers discovered at the University of Chicago is true. Life truly is better together. Good relationships make us happier and healthier.
So the natural question is, how do I get that? How, how do I get better relationships? How do I get these good relationships you're describing, Pastor Michael? So let me give you some, some uh, godly advice. Let me show you what scripture says in that regard. Um, and that'll be our next fill in the blank. This is a weird one. I don't know if you've ever had a fill in the blank like this one. For, for better this, okay, so you know what I mean by that, right? For better relationships with the people around you, for better connection and relationship with, with your spouse, for a better connection with your coworkers, for a better connection with the people in, in your neighborhood, for better relationships, start with this. For better relationships, start with your relationship with God. Okay, so for good, healthy relationships, it requires an immense amount of love and sacrifice. If you want to know what love and sacrifice is all about, you cannot do that unless you know God and his love first. Not making that up. It comes from 1 John chapter 4. It also comes from Colossians 2, 12 to 14. If you want another reference to read later, I'm not going to bring that one up right now. But um, in, in, uh, in that verse... In uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, we see this. Dear friends, let us love one another. That's this part, right? Let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. This is important. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Lean in. Listen. This is the answer you want to know. The question, the question you, you want to have answered, right? This is, what is love? This is love. Here he says it. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, sacrifice for our sins. That's amazing love. See, here, here's the thing. God created us to be relational beings. He created us with freedom not to return that love to him because that's the only way love can exist. And that's what human beings chose. I will not live dependent upon God. I will declare my independence from him. Um, he loved me, but I will not return that love to him. Every sin says, I will not submit to you or yield to you, God. Um, I love me more than you. That's what every sin says. And, and now God has a choice. By the way, have you ever been in a relationship like that? Where you poured out love to another and that love was not reciprocated. Have you ever been in a relationship where you poured out love and you were betrayed? I know some of you have. How does that make you feel? How do you respond in that situation? How did God respond? Well, I guess he had two options. Option one is he could, re he could re react to that like a human being. Oh, you rebel against me. You do not reciprocate my love. You refuse to love me. Okay, fine, goodbye. You are cut off from me. We do not have a relationship anymore and we never will. By the way, that's hell. So God literally could have said to the entire human race, you will, you will not be in relationship with me, then go to hell. Be separated from me for all eternity. Bye. And, and if God had chosen that, was, would there be anything we could say in objection? Hey, that's not fair. Well, no, yeah, it is fair. That is right. You're right, God. Or... There's an option, too, and it's the one that God chose, of course. 
they refuse to love me back, so I'm going to love them even more. I'm going to pour out my love on them in such a, an unusual way, such a ridiculous way. It's going to shock them the, the way I show love to them, and I'm going to change them. And, and that's what God did. God loved us by giving the one thing that hurt him the most, his son. And before you say, oh, what kind of abusive father would send his son to be sacrificed like that? Jesus volunteered for that. This was the plan the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, came up with from eternity to redeem us, to reconcile us to him, to restore the broken relationship that was coming. So Jesus came, the Son of God, to sacrifice himself for you. Jesus went to the cross, and there he took your, the responsibility for all of your sin, for all your, your faults, for all of the people you've hurt in relationships, Jesus took the blame for that. And when Jesus went to the cross, a relationship that had been there for eternity, the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit was broken for you. Jesus cried out from the cross, you remember this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was cut off from the Father. Because that was, that's what was needed. That was the sacrifice needed to be able to restore you to the Father. So that the Father could justly look at you and say, you are now not guilty. Your sin, your debt has been removed. My son paid it. You can be reconciled to me in a relationship of love once again. This is what God did for you. This is his amazing love for you. What's, not, what's most important is not, let me tell you how I love God. No, what comes first is how he loved us and gave his son as the atoning sacrifice for all of your sins. And that's why, if you want better this, relationships with others, you got to start with that and know what God did for you and the kind of love he showed you because that's the kind of love that creates great relationships when you express it in your life with others. So the better you know God's love for you and the more that kind of love, that sacrificial love, that giving love, that you first love, that puts other people's needs before your own, can you imagine what kind of relationships you have if you and the people you were in relationship with had that kind of love that they were showing to each other? Good relationships start with knowing your father and knowing that relationship. So what do we do with this? Since this is all true, what are we going to do this week that may be different than what we did last week? And here's, just, here's the big takeaway. Jot this down. Wisely invest in good relationships. That is time so well spent. Wisely invest in good relationships. Now, let me be clear. This looks different for everybody. There is no one-size-fits-all. There are people who can be in a crowd or at a party, and they're very lonely. There are people who have... Four good friends on the entire planet, and they're not. There are people who are in a, in a marriage, and they are not lonely at all, and there are people in a marriage who are. But establishing these good relationships, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, these good relationships will make you happy and healthy because that's the way God designed us. So what does that look like to wisely invest in good relationships? First, it means having more to invest. Okay, if, if you're investing for retirement, you don't have much saved yet, let me suggest this. Spend less in other areas. Invest more for the future. We can do that with relationships as well. What does it look like to wisely invest in relationships? We might have to limit some things in order to have more time 
for relationships. So would you do this this week? Would you evaluate in your life, what is it that you do? What are your hobbies? What are your habits? What are your tendencies that isolate you, that keep you from others? Okay, this, is, this is a hard thing to do, but be honest with yourself as you do this exercise. I did, and you know what I discovered? By the way, you, you realize that when pa- Pastor Mike and I are preaching up here, we're preaching to ourselves first, and we're glad that you're getting something out of it too. But, um, but we need this every bit as much as you did. And as I evaluated my life, I recognized that I spend way too much time just randomly surfing the internet. You see, I, I'm a learner, and I enjoy interesting news articles and um, I'm very interested and invested in what's happening in Ukraine. So how many tanks are they sending over now? What was Putin's reaction to that? What are they going to do next? Um, I love science, so I love reading articles about science. I just love consuming all this information. But as I do that, I am isolated. I am alone. And the more I do that, the less I will have to invest in good relationships. So let me challenge you. There are a thousand ways you can do this. I'm just telling you the way I do it. What do you do? What are your habits? What are your hobbies? What are the ways you do things that isolate yourself so you don't have as much time to invest in relationships? Let's change that this week. Let's make some important changes. Second thing I want you to consider. Wisely invest in good relationships better. Okay, so so this is all about increasing the quality of your time with other people. And we all need to do this. For example, at work, you could keep your nose to the grindstone, cut yourself off from everybody around you, look at people as impediments and roadblocks, and and, uh, I can just do it better without them, or take that very same time in work and choose to engage with your coworkers and clients. Ask about them. How are you doing? Thank them for something they did. Give them a compliment about something. Draw them out. Engage with them. Make a human connection and tell me, if you don't enjoy work a little bit more. What does that look like at home? Well, maybe at the family dinner table, first of all, you make sure there is one that you do gather as a family, and that when you do, maybe the TV stays off, and you spend more time talking to each other, ask each other for a higher or low in your day. Or maybe in the evening, instead of watching two or three hours of TV, it means turning the TV off, and maybe you have a family game night. Now, confession. Who's the one dragging their feet when my wife suggests family game night? <laughs> I want to make a change. Because I realize, I realize this. When we have family game night, when we're done, I can't remember a single time when I said, yep, I knew I should have said no. <laughs> no, at the end, I, I enjoyed it. It was good. It was good to make that human connection. So um, give that some intentional thought as well. With friends, what does it look like to connect? You, I mean, you can spend hours on Facebook hitting a like button or leaving a short comment or try this. Here's, a, here's just a quick suggestion. Again, one of thousands, but try this one suggestion. Instead, text a friend and say, hey, you got eight minutes? Or let me know when you do. I just want to talk for eight minutes. Literally, set a timer. Keep it to eight minutes so you both know that's all you're going to spend, and you will be surprised at the connection you can make in eight minutes of a phone call time um, just, doing, do, just doing that one simple thing. Invest wisely in those relationships. And and then the third point related to this. Consider the relationships that you are investing in. Would you take a moment this week to evaluate who do I spend time with and is that good? Who do I spend time with but it's not enough? Okay, so uh, somebody once said that, "Show show me your friends, your close friends, I'll show you your future. 
Your friends influence you. Your friends do affect you. Do you have close Christian friends who know God's truth and grace and they will pour that out into you and together you will be what God wants you to be or do you have some friends that maybe lead you in a different direction? It might be time this week to change some friendships. And can I say a word to our married and engaged couples? If that is you, if you're married or engaged, please raise your hand. Okay, keep your hands up. And if there's anybody here who knows somebody married or engaged, raise your hand too. Okay, now everybody's hand should be up. Would, would you please make this a priority? The relationship with your spouse. I can make a good argument that there is no more valuable relationship that you have than the one that you have with your spouse. Does your time and attention reflect that importance? So what I'd like to ask you to do is a very simple exercise. Um, Sometime in the next week, when you can sit down face-to-face with the TV off, not during a game this afternoon, during the football game, but when you can really give each other full attention with a notepad in front of you, just answer one simple question and write down your ideas. Honey, how can we make our relationship better? How can we make our relationship better? Write down your ideas, implement one or two this week, and tell me if it doesn't make a difference. Second, if you are in a marriage and it's not going well, things are rocky, here's your to-do. Seek help. Talk to a counselor. Talk to a pastor. Get outside help for your marriage. Guys, I'm talking especially to you. My experience has been it's the guys that drag their feet, the guys that put up the block, everybody's marriage struggles. You're not admitting to weakness when you do this. See, the truth is, this might be a secret I'm letting some of you in on, the person you're married to is not perfect. I feel confident saying that about all of you. Um, And you're not perfect either. So when you put two broken, sinful people together, there's going to be conflict. It's going to be hard. This American romantic notion that when you find the right one, the chemistry is just there. It doesn't take any effort. It's just so easy. I have never in my entire ministry seen a marriage that was easy, that didn't take work and intentionality. So if yours is in a rocky place, would you get help? Because here's what I've discovered. When there is a, 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 a two people, when there is a husband and a wife who commit to working on it, and a third party is helping them work on it, and they, they will do what that third party is asking them to do, do you know what percentage of the time I've seen improvement in the relationship? 100%. It will get better. But sometimes you just need the third party there to mediate and to help. Somebody with wisdom to talk into your life. So, work on that marriage relationship. It's the most important one. Okay, so I, I, this has been a, a little bit heavy. There's been a, so much that we've, we've covered. We've got some work to do, some changes to make, right? And as I've talked today, uh, very likely some things have popped into your mind where you said, ooh, yeah, that's bad. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't be doing that. Um, what, what I'd like to remind you, though, I don't want you today, today to leave in guilt, Uh, Sometimes I think people measure that's the quality of the service. Oh, if I leave feeling a lot more guilty than I came, uh, that means, yep, I was in church. uh, That's not how I want you to leave today. Do not leave with guilt because here's the thing. I've made mistakes. I've confessed some of them on stage here. You've made mistakes in relationships. So right now, 
put those at the foot of the cross. And I want you to know what I shared with you earlier, that God, with his incredible, weird love, gave his son for that stuff you just put at the foot of the cross. He took it away. He paid your debt. You are dearly loved, redeemed, forgiven, holy family members of the Most High God. That's you. You can't go in guilt today when you remember that glorious truth. So don't go with guilt, but I do want you to go with resolve. Because of what I've heard today and because my God is so good, I am not going to let my relationships this week look like they did last week. I'm going to make the needed changes to give God glory. Now, I would be remiss and I would be a failure at my job if I did not close by asking you once again to reconsider joining a life group. If you haven't done this yet, when we come together in a large group like this, this is good, this is needed, this is maybe even first, this, we, we've got to do this. But if this is all you've got, you are lacking good relationships. We're a growing big church and you can't get connected on a Sunday morning very easily, maybe not at all. But in life groups, you can. So your pastors, knowing what God says in his word, and now what's confirmed in scientific studies, we recognize that good relationships are needed for you to be happy and healthy and growing in your relationship with God. And so we created these environments, handcrafted them, in order to grow and foster good relationships with fellow Christians. You need this. I need this. So join a life group. Today is the last day that you can do it. From scripture and confirmed by all the studies, our life group motto, motto is true. It's a fact. Life is better together. Let's go to our God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I know that this message today hits people in all sorts of relational situations, some in very bad ones, some in abusive ones, some with really great relationships, some with supportive families, some with family in, in conflict and stress. Um, Lord, we ask you today to, wherever we're starting, to take these positive steps, to first of all work on our relationship with you, to understand your love and your forgiveness that are ours, and then to let that love, that unconditional love that we see in you, flow out into our lives, into the relationships that we have with others. So, Lord, help us not to just have heard this message today and nod our heads in agreement and then do nothing with it, but to take this word and do what Jesus said, put it into practice. And then we will be like wise people who build their house on a rock, and it will not be shaken no matter what this world throws at it. So, Lord, bless us as we make this intentional. Thank you for all that we've heard in this series, the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, the relational aspects of burnout, and help us to take these things and live them out in our lives. We pray this all for your namesake and all God's people said, amen.